Price is one New York City couple's coronavirus podcast. This is a daily limited series podcast. Today is Thursday, March 19th and day seven of our self-quarantine. Today, we welcome a guest who's shipping down from Boston to share her thoughts on getting her cardio in, faith in the time of coronavirus, and South Korea. And welcome back to episode seven of Beans and Rice. You have Beans here, aka Aleha. You got Rice, aka Janina. And this is day seven of our quarantine. Um, today we are joined by a very, very good old friend of mine named Joyce Kim. So Joyce, add everybody. Hi. Hey Joyce. So if you had to be a legume, grain, or pantry staple, what would you go by? If I had to be a legume, grain. Or pantry staple. I think, so I had homemade falafel for dinner. So I think Ooh. chickpeas Ooh. come to mind. My uh, One of my roommates is definitely has a survivalist instinct at heart. So she made pita bread, um, falafel, and hummus all from scratch, from like dried what? chickpeas. She rehydrated them. So, and then... In the midst of all this, she went and got um, plants. So she started growing um, plants as of like three days ago. So she got lettuce, mustard greens, carrots, bell peppers. And then we went to um, an Indian grocery store and got like sacks of like 10 pound sacks of flour. So we're ready. Oh my God, you guys will survive. (laughs) Like you're for sure gonna make it through this, that's crazy. Yeah, we're gonna drop off the face of the earth in like three weeks. Yeah, like we, what did we buy? We bought frozen pizzas. And even like today, Janina gently admonished me for like maybe going through our rations too quickly. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah. very hungry. Okay. So all right, we went we went for a quick walk outside, which we'll talk about later. But he was like, "Oh, I feel lightheaded. I must be hungry." And this was after he had eaten like two quesadillas, three cookies. <laughs> He had already eaten dinner. He started yeah. walking. He's like, I'm lightheaded from hunger. I'm like, that cannot be true. <laughs> like, you might just be lightheaded because you haven't moved around a lot. Yeah. Or, like, you're otherwise nervous, but it is not hunger. Yeah. So, speaking of, today was, like, a big excursion for us, and we'll get to that in a second. Joyce, what has been, like, your limit for outdoors time, if at all? Because I feel like the day you were talking on the phone to me or texting you saying you were doing a workout, like, what does your outdoor exposure look like um, right now? I think relative to many other people, it's a decent amount um, because I run outside of course I practice social distancing and I run by myself but yeah I mean I run I don't know between four to seven miles like at least four times a week so I think with all that like still a decent amount of outside exposure and today today I didn't run but I still went out for a walk um, yeah I have to go outside otherwise I get really like ah for sure. But yeah, I have been I have been going outside. And when do you go? And then when you go, how many people do you see roughly, if you had to guess? Yeah, that depends. I usually go run in the mornings. There have been fellow exercisers that I see too, all of us sort of maintaining a decent amount of distance. 
Uh, but Attic, you, you do see it has the, the density has gone down a decent amount. And that mm -hmm. is really weird to see because um, Boston, as I'm sure in New York City, it's, you know, pretty poppin' and then it's a lot more dead. It's almost reminiscent of um, Boston or Cambridge in the summer holiday or the winter holiday. So that's that's kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, because Boston is such a college town. It does have seasonality to it. Right. Whereas New York, you expect to be bustling all the time. So I don't really have a precedent for what it looks like when you walked outside. It, it almost felt like it was really early in the morning. And I think the reason was that there just wasn't any car traffic. Yeah. No car traffic looking pretty sparse. Some folks around. It was a weird, like, are we more or less likely to get mugged right now? <laughs> like, what... Are the odds on that? Yeah, so we took the street right on. We took Fifth Ave right along Central Park, yeah. just so there'd be more witnesses. Yeah, if something happened. Yeah, and and Rice, today was your first time out in a while, right? Yeah, I was feeling down. Also, mentioned this before. Someone in my work tested positive for coronavirus, so I've like been going about the my day to day life. Just I'm a disease to society. <laughs> I need to be locked away. I'm the hunchback of Notre Dame. It's a, it's a very... I'll sit from my perch and observe the world. And then I talked to someone on the phone today for an hour who was just like, go outside. It's going to be okay. Yeah. Just don't cough into somebody's mouth and you're going to be okay. Yeah. And she did not. I'll I report didn't. cough into anyone's mouth. Right. <laughs> yes, this friend was like, just don't walk around with your mouth open and your tongue lolling out like you usually do and everything <laughs> will be okay. And then the trip we took was about a 20-block walk to go deliver a few of these cookies to one of our friends. Um, we just let him know, hey, we're on our way to come drop off cookies. He was ecstatic about it. We get there, we drop them off, we take like, you know, 10 steps back, so there's some distance he comes out, waves to us, excited to see us, says, thank you, Lysol's the bag we brought them in, <laughs> like, to, like, you know, minimize cross-contamination. Right. So it was, like, two batches of cookies in Tupperware inside a Chipotle bag. Yeah. <laughs> Lysol's the sides and top of the, yeah. the cardboard, or the paper bag, which yeah. is a new type of insanity. So yeah. that, was, that was crazy. Um, we also made the observation that, like, Right now, it appears socially acceptable to kind of, like, move really outside people's paths. So if you're walking by someone on the street, like, it seems to be, like, kosher to, like, move very far out of each other's way to do that. We were remarking how, like, for folks that are, like, racist enough to, like, cross the street when they see a person of color, this is, like, a gold mine. Like, this is, like, a very, like, good opportunity <laughs> for them to just, like, lean into that impulse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's been our big excursion uh, today. But uh, speaking of interacting with people, like one thing that I would love to hear your thoughts on and your experience with uh, Chickpea has been how your faith has been impacted. Because I know you as someone that takes faith very seriously. You really care about the churches you belong to and you care about that community. What's what's going on with um, that experience for you right now? Yeah, so as of last week, uh, my church has stopped gathering. Definitely the right move, the smart move. Um, so what I engage in, so there's a church group, a smaller church group that meets each week in addition to the larger church group. So my small church group, we met over Zoom. Oh, oh that's nice. Uh, yeah, that was nice. It was, it was really nice to see people and also 
um, to see how people's days are going and also to hear things like, oh, okay, so like what, what have you been like dealing with? Like what can we support you on? What can we pray for? So that was really nice. And then my church will be starting this week. Um, they'll be live streaming um, a service, a shortened service. So mm-hmm. it's like a 30 minute sermon and then there's yeah, sort of yeah. like a guide that they provided. So I just got this email yesterday or today. And then there's like a daily sort of like guide that we can follow if we choose to. And those are things like, oh, like what is something you can reflect on and things like that. Um, so that's one way. Um, so on, in my church too, um, there are different volunteer groups and I'm part of the community engagement team. So that mm-hmm. looks at, okay, how can we engage um, not only within our church, but also with the city of Boston. That's a really big part of my church. So they're um, it's a network of churches across different cities. Um, there's one in Boston, it's called Reality. And um, something we're thinking about too is how do we engage with Boston? So it's like, oh, mm. like how can we, uh, one thing that someone brought up is like donating to the Greater Boston Food Bank. Um, mm. And we're also looking at what are different platforms that we can use to engage within the church. And there's like a Google doc where people can um, share their needs and see if there's a volunteer within the church who can meet that need because our church is like fairly um, intergenerational. That's awesome. Yeah. So those are ways in which uh, my church has adapted to this situation. And I think on a personal level, too, I think uh, being a lot more homebound has given me time and space to um, uh, I'm like not very good at meditating, but it's given me the space (laughs) to like attempt to meditate more, which has been really helpful. And I guess reflect on um, questions regarding my faith as well. Mm hmm. What sort of questions have arisen for you? Uh, What sort of questions have risen for me? I think something that I've been thinking about, and this is a, it's funny that you mentioned that. So uh, I think this year, starting 2020, something I want to, like a word that comes up for me for this year is this idea of focus. And I think I've been feeling a little more burnt out this um, over the last like six months or so, just because um, the number of requests from various places have increased while my work commitments have increased. Uh, my um, The things that I engage with outside of work has increased. And then I've been in Boston for a little over a year, which is longer than any other place that I've lived in, in the last four years. And so I think with that increased community means increased time too in that regard. And these are all good things. Um, But yeah, I think I've been, I think my sort of MO has been like, wow, like so many people have helped me. So I'm going to try to pay it forward as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But I think it got to the point. um, And I think the uh, requests are increasing too, where, you know, I started to realize like, oh, like it's not like I can't even get my work done because I'm like, you know, answering all these requests, and I don't think this is sustainable. So uh, a book that someone from my church lent me is called Boundaries, because I think, especially in many faith communities, I know in Christian communities too, there can be a sense of like, oh, like you should help. But this book is arguing it's not only okay, but it's the right thing to set boundaries. It's actually the most loving thing you can do in many situations. Um, So yeah, I guess I've been thinking a lot about like this idea of boundaries and how to do so in, I guess, the best way or in a way that I don't feel like, oh, no, like, should I be helping? Uh, So I guess some kind of like guilt associated with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is interesting to see how 
like with the situation right now, people are paring down their responsibilities and their act- interactions to what they deem essential. Like what sort of learnings can be gleaned from that? Yeah, so when you consider your boundaries, like what is an example of one if you feel like sharing that you feel like you are going to establish when life continues and regains its sense of normalcy? Yeah, so I think I've been doing this more in general anyway. But I think um, I'll get so like a decent amount of just like random requests, whether it's through LinkedIn or through email. And these will be people who have I have very like very minimal or um, not much um, connection with. And so there'll be requests like, oh, I saw you did this fellowship. Can I get advice or like, oh, I saw you work here. Um, I'm interested in working here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But as time goes on, the number of those kinds of requests have gone up too. And usually I um, respond very quickly and we'll be like, yes, like let's set up a time, et cetera. But I think a boundary for me is recognizing that I don't necessarily, especially given the place that I'm in, like it's okay to kind of say to myself, you know what, for these like five, six months, like it's okay if I don't respond to this imme- this person immediately or if I don't respond to this person at all, given that it's sort of a random person. Or I'll give another example. Like I met this one woman um, at an interview of something that we were interviewing for. And then like a couple weeks later, she's like, hey, I saw you went to grad school in England. Like um, I'm interested in going to this program too. And I was like, great. And I started talking to her, but I said, hey, I'm in on vacation in Mexico City. Um, so I may not respond quickly, but she still like kept texting me. So I ended up just by habit, just, I know, just kind mm. of um, responding back. And then her, um, her request escalated like, oh, this essay, like I saw this essays on this. Can you send me your essays from like when you applied, et cetera. And I just went and did it. Um, but then I realized wow like and oh that's another thing too like and then I would respond she wouldn't respond to me and then like three weeks later she'd be like oh I forgot to respond here I have another question but like I noticed this kind of stuck with me like she never really said thank you so Mm. (laughs) so I don't know so that's like I guess one concrete (laughs) example that's like pretty top of mind uh but yeah I was like Joyce like it's great that you're like helping people but I think talking to some of my good friends about this too like I really don't have an obligation and also like yeah if I'm like trying to help so many people it's like I'm not perhaps like helping the people that are most in need and like usually the people who do reach out to me like that they probably have other people they can reach out to as well Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's okay to like prioritize people and especially if they're kind of like people I really don't have a connection to, then I really shouldn't feel um, a strong obligation, which is something I have. Like I would, I would, I do something called an always respond policy where people, no matter who it was, I'd like respond. Like I remember like back in, I like someone messaged me back in 2014. Somehow I missed that message. Like two, two or three years later I saw it and I responded to them. Oh my. <laughs> but I, I guess this year is teaching me that like, sure, that has like some aspects of being nice, but like I really don't need to do that. So I think that those are some concrete examples that come to mind. Mm-hmm. That's dope. I think yours is like the most kind of like detailed plan or at least reflective practice I've heard so far that I've seen people practice during the COVID-19 period. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and also, like, it is totally okay to to say that you have a finite capacity for that because, like, as much as you've accomplished and as much as you've been a boss as evidenced by all these people reaching out to you, like, you can also still focus on yourself. And it's not necessarily a bad or even, like, or even an action that has a moral attached to it. It can just be neutral. Janina, I think, uh, or excuse me, should I say rice? (laughs) I'm like, my bad. Uh, Yeah, I think um, just realizing that I'm not obligated and that, yeah, it's okay to say to myself and protect, like, say to myself, Joyce, like, it's okay to set up this boundary and protect my time. And this way I can, you know, help more people in the future in ways that are probably more meaningful than, say, like, answering some questions and sending over an essay. It's funny. I think uh, just you mentioned the book uh, Boundary. I feel like sometimes for books like that, it is ironic that the people that should most read them are the ones that like are not aware that they're like, you know, like breaking that boundary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So there was one more thing I want to talk about before a word from our sponsor um, and to give some context. So uh, Chickpea has spent a couple of years um working uh, intensely with South Korean populations. Uh, For a year after college, she was a Fulbright scholar doing research North Korean defectors in South Korea. Um, Then we met in the Bay Area after, and the year following that, you completed a master's in philosophy, working with the diasporic Korean community in the UK. That's that's accurate? Yeah, yeah, in South London. Yep, thanks. Cool, cool. So sort of like, you know, with this history of working with that community, I would love to sort of like get your thoughts either on how you personally have seen South Korea react to coronavirus or as a meta level, like how you're seeing the U.S. like compare itself or comment on or react to the way that South Korea is handling it. So anywhere you want to take that question, we're open. Yeah. Yeah. So full disclosure too, my parents are immigrants from South Korea. So there is that cultural connection um, and ethnic connection as well. Uh, yeah, this is something that I've ended up talking to peers, housemates, etc. about um, as well, and my dad too. <laughs> so I think two things come to mind that I think kind of characterize certain aspects about South Korean society to me. One is patient 31. She is the individual who <laughs> was part of um, yeah. sort of a, uh, some people call it a cult. Um, some people call it um, a church, uh, depends on who who's talking but the Shincheonji church. And so this pa- patient 31, although she had, um, she, she was a host for COVID-19, um, she went about during her day, went to a buffet, went, kept going back and forth to her home and the church, et cetera. And so she infected, like, I think, I, I remember seeing a graphic and she infected like almost half of the initial cases. Yeah. So she really wreaked havoc in the city of Daegu. <laughs> Uh, and to me that I found that fascinating just because um, there is a decent amount of these types of uh, strong like cult of personalities. I mean, even up in North Korea, um, the Kim um, dynasty, if you will, quote unquote dynasty, they're also a cult of personality, too. So that raises some interesting questions as to, you know, what is it, whether it's culturally, socially, socially, et cetera, all these different factors where these types of things do come up um, um, in South Korea. So there, that's one thing that I thought was interesting. My dad and I had a laugh about patient 31. Two, I think 
uh, just the ways in which, um, as a reaction to that, South Korea has like really upped its resources. I mean, the fact that they're testing up to 20,000 people a day, I don't even know if the U.S. has hit that at this point. No. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, they've with that, they've started to contain their cases. So um, just the efficiency. I, I remember seeing a, a little clip of the stations they have set up that's super high tech. Um, and that's sort of reminiscent of some of my thoughts on South Korea, too, while I was living there. Um, things are very fast, very efficient, mm-hmm. very streamlined. And I see elements of that. Um, Going back to an earlier point you mentioned, or earlier question you mentioned about like how this compares to my experience here, I think there's a really great Wall Street Journal article. The exact title escapes me, but it compares the East and the West, and in this article specifically, it compares South Korea and Italy, and the cultural mm. differences that ha- that may explain why South Korea was able to contain in Italy, unfortunately, it's the cases are rising exponentially. Yeah. yeah. And South Korea, there is, um, they, the article talks about the sense of um, Confucianism, the, the more um, mm. respect for authority, etc. Whereas in Italy, it talks about this um, cultural phenomenon of furbo, they call it, where it's like skepticism of what the government says, um, kind of like, fuck it, I'm going to mm-hmm. um, not play by the rules and, and perhaps the ways in which that has contributed to I'm still going to kiss my Nona on the cheek and the ways <laughs> in which um, that has contributed to the unfortunate influx. So I think that I, I'd recommend that article. I thought it was a really interesting look about the ways in which cultural differences can inform even the ways in how we address a, um, a pandemic. So I can really... Like, based on those two things, those are things where, whether it's patient 31 or it's this, like, phenomenon of South Korea buckling down, those are both things that I can really resonate with and um, I've, I've seen firsthand during my experience living in South Korea. That reminds me of two things. One, related to that article, about a week and a half ago now, the New York Times ran an article with a byline <laughs> And the byline just said, can Italians follow the rules? <laughs> it, just, it just struck me because I screenshotted it as something that also could have been run in 1920. Yeah. That... Just like out of context. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those Italians, inability to follow the rules. Um, the second thing I was thinking as you were talking about sort of like East-West and I think the trust or... Um, like respect that people have for their governments, it makes me wonder about like in the US, if we think about populations that have been historically underserved or ignored by governments, if, and I suspect that this may be true, that they're going to be disproportionately affected by yeah. COVID-19 and like disregarding of the social distancing yeah. rules that like are sort of, you know, unofficially enforced. Yeah, yeah. So also one more point in there too around sort of like cultural differences and practices that I think Rice verbalized to me a week ago at least around like the way that we think about ancestors and elders and like veneration of ancestors and elders and how that changes the way that you carry yourself. Second piece too is that um, in the U.S. at least I don't think that multinational households are as common 
as they might be in certain East Asian countries and mm. the lack of empathy that arises from not living with someone that is a little bit older, that is from a different generation, probably changes the way that you would also respond to a pandemic that we think only affects older folks. Right. I mean, I didn't do this, but if I lived in the Philippines and I was with my Lolo and my Lola and my Tito and my Tita and they're all above 60 or 70 years old, there's no way that it would have even possessed me to go out, for example, to a bar last weekend to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Like I, yeah, sorry to cut you off. Oh yeah, no worries. Yeah, I was thinking that too. And that's also been a topic of conversation, especially in the U.S. I don't think, um, compared at least my experience in South Korea, um, the extent to which the multi-generational house um, home thing, unless it's like maybe some ethnic um, families in the U.S., I think that would be the key, the, the primary difference. But yeah, I do think the ways in which we view our elderly are different. And I mean, this there's an element of Confucianism here, too, where it's just like the respect for elders and how we see them is different. Um, between the Italy and South Korea case, that's interesting because it does seem to me the whole like matriarch or patriarch, etc. Like mm-hmm. there is that element. Maybe Furbo overrules that. So I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, OK, so I think it is time for us to wrap this episode. But first, we have to get, you know, a thank you for our sponsor. Um, so we're going to trade off here. Chickpea are going to make this thank you together. Um, and I'll go ahead and start it. And then we'll have rice go and then you. Thank you for space, travel, and time, exploration to other galaxies. Woohoo! Woohoo! Thank you to our sponsors for all those things. <laughs> the people who's been the space time continuum. Um, anyway, that is episode seven. Chickpea, you're amazing. Thank you so Thank much you. for bringing your wisdom and grace to our podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 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 Comet. That's like and, a, and, and for Comet. Comet, always for Comet. Who I don't know if this will show up on the final audio, but he's been squeaking. Oh, yeah, just squeaking a much. He might have a facial defect. We're trying to bring him into the bed. Yeah, he does look really ugly. <laughs> <laughs>